Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, March 12th. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are at page 157, and we're going to start with the first full paragraph, four lines down from the top. Today's readers are Robin, Kim, Paula, and Katie. The reference number for Monday, March 11th, is 4048. That's 4048. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Patricia to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning. This is Patricia from North Carolina, compulsive overeater. Um, The 12 steps. One, we admitted we are powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we're wrong, promptly admit it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Patricia. I will now ask Anne S. to read the 12 traditions, please. Uh, Hi, good morning. My name is Anne, a compulsive overeater from Pennsylvania. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. 
Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters accepting, affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never inf- endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest the problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual, spiritual foundation of all of these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Uh, thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Anne. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 157. We'll start in the first full paragraph, which is four lines down from the top of the page. And I will ask Robin to begin reading, please. This is Robin. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Minnesota. Two days later, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous stared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. Who are you fellows and why this private room? I was always in a ward before, said one of the visitors. We're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. Hopelessness was written large on the man's face as he replied, Oh, but that's no use. Nothing would fix me. I'm a goner. The last three times I got drunk on the way home from here. I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't understand it. For an hour, the two, the two friends told him about their drinking experiences. Over and over, he would say, That's me. That's me. I drink like that. Well, this is alcoholic number three. And a few paragraphs before, we were told by the nurse that he had been in this hospital eight times in the last six months, which is approximately every three weeks. And, um, you know, the confusion of 
of uh, the confusion of detoxing and then not being able to stay away from the liquor store on the way home. Um, the loneliness of this, I think, is the thing that really strikes me. The loneliness of the living this life of not being able to understand um, why we can't control what is killing us. And that was the thing for me that I never would have admitted to you until I came in and I realized how incredibly lonely I was. Um, The food put a wedge between me and other people that was unsurmountable. It was impossible for me to see beyond that food to be able to connect with the human race. And uh, for an hour, the two friends told him about their drinking experiences, and over and over he would say, that's me, that's me, I drink like that. The absolute joy of discovering people who understood, understand what um, what my life is like and how powerless I am over food just the way this alcoholic number three was discovering that there are people who understand the powerlessness of drink and um, the fear of being left on your own. You know, it's one thing when you have somebody who's controlling the fact that you aren't drinking in detox or controlling what you're eating in, um, in treatment but going out into the world on your own and still being unable to control it as you're walking past a bakery on the way home from rehab or walking past a bakery um, when you you know, desperately want to stay out of that bakery and you can't help but walk in. And here, here we find that there are people who understand that, who not only understand it and have gone through it, but are recovered, who can help um, us, help me to um, find a way to walk past that bakery. And I think that that's the beauty of of these paragraphs here is um, the fact that this man finally was meeting somebody who understood that he knew um, he would be able to identify with and perhaps perhaps the loneliness would stop. And we'll go on to read more and find out how that happened. And I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? You need to press star one to unmute. Hi, this is Sippy. I'm sorry, what was your name? Sippy. Sippy, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Um, Robin was saying about the loneliness and... um, I I remember that very well. I used to walk on the streets and um, beg God and beg beg anyone out there silently in my head, you know, can anyone help me? I I felt so lonely. No no one can understand my cravings all day long. I was craving food and no one could understand it properly because I'm, I'm not terribly overweight. And, you know, many would like to be my weight. And, you know, they didn't understand what I was going through every minute of every day. 
waking up in the morning, eating breakfast, and then start to binge and then think, okay, so I'm not on this diet, I'll go on another diet and stay on the other diet for two hours and then binge again and then try a different diet. And it was such, it was so tormenting every minute. And I'd walk on the streets and, you know, silently shout, can anyone help me out there? I felt so lonely. No one, no one could understand my, my cravings for food, my, the torture. The torture, I'm not, I'm not living life how I wanted to live life and just thinking about food all day long and not getting on and not, and not, you know, not being who I wanted to be. And I was so lonely. Like even my husband, he, you know, he, no, no one could see it because I would binge obviously in private and he would, he wouldn't see my binging. And, um, and it was, it was horrible, you know, so that, that loneliness really, you know, it's a horrible feeling of nobody understanding what you're feeling. And, um, and it was a big, it was a big welcome for me when I started attending OA. But everybody understood exactly what I was feeling or what I, what I was doing, and and it was just you know I felt I felt you know like everyone said I felt like I came home, and that's what I really felt like. And I'll pass. Thank you, Sippy. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? This is Paula Mashia. Sure, Paula, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. This would be Paula Recovered Composable to Eater. So many lines here, but I'm going to take two. Hopelessness was written large on the man's face as he replied, oh, but that's no use. You know, the way, Bill, this was written, hopelessness was written large. So it was, there was no hiding it anymore. And you know how well we do that. Oh, put a little extra makeup on. Oh, do a little bit more of this. You know, hide it, always hiding it. But at this time, it was large. It had taken over, and that's what this disease does, part by part. And there it was on his face. But then I want to come down to this part. Over and over, he would say, that's me. That's me. I drank like that. Can you hear it? Whoa, you mean there's somebody else? And I just keep thinking, this is Bill W., and Bob, and do you remember when Abby came to Bill, and what did it say on page nine? The door opened, and he stood beat there, fresh skin and glowing. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? Hmm. Now, there we saw the hopelessness on this fellow's face, and what did Bill W. see with Abby? the door open and their fresh skin. But then there was Dr. Bob was also present. Remember what Dr. Bob said in his story? This is what this man was saying. In other words, he talked my language. He knew all the answers and certainly not because he had picked them up in his reading. There was more. There was more than the book. There was more than the words. There was all combined. God himself. But that part that's me and has been has been talk, talked about about the loneliness and wow that's me somebody knows talk my language go walk in a foreign country and you don't know the language and everybody's around you and then finally someone says i speak your language and the relief somebody understands 
Somebody understands. They understood. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? Good morning, it's Leah. Leah, go Hi. ahead. Yes, good morning. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, focusing in on this part here for an hour that two friends told him about their drinking experiences. Over and over, he would say, that's me. That's me. I drink like that. Of course, these two friends, you know, are Dr. Bob and and Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson's been sober for about seven months at this point, and Dr. Bob, several weeks, they're recovered, um, and they are sharing their story. And, you know, what we're seeing here is identification, you know, identification, and that is... That is the power that we have. You know, the big book says we have recovered and have been given the power to help other people. And how is that? Well, it's because we carry a message of depth and weight. We're properly armed with facts, and they are facts about ourselves. You know, they are facts about ourselves, and with those facts about ourselves, with that experience, we can win the entire confidence of other compulsive overeaters, or in this case, alcoholics. Um, you know, as they tell their story, and that's exactly what we're supposed to do because God has given us, equipped us with very, very unique knowledge to help very, very unique group of human beings. We know more about recovery from compulsive overeating than anybody alive because we're the only people that have done it. So when Bill W. and Dr. Bob are sharing their stories with Bill D., it's not just pleading from Bill's D's wife or his employer or you know good friends or his parents or siblings to please stop. You know, it is coming from someone who has been in that quicksand also. You know, so when the big book talks to us and teaches me to cling to the thought that in God's hand that dark past of mine is the greatest possession I have because it can be a key to life and happiness for other people. That's exactly what's happening here. Bill D is identifying in. He's identifying in as he hears Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob speak about the fact that they couldn't stop once they had started drinking and the fact that they couldn't stop from starting again. That were that were that was elements uh, that Bill D. related to. You know, if you flip, or I'll just read from page 18 quickly. It says, highly competent psychiatrists who have dealt with us have found it sometimes impossible to persuade an alcoholic to discuss his situation without reserve. Strangely enough, wives, parents, and intimate friends usually find us even more unapproachable than do the psychiatrist and the doctor. But the ex-problem jinker who has found this solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. You know, we have been in those shoes. We have been in that quicksand. We understand the pain. We have cried those tears. We felt frustrated. We felt terrified. We felt despair. We have felt baffled, confused powerless we have been there and yet and yet by the grace of god we have recovered and with that i pass thank you thank you leah who else would like to share on these paragraphs 
Patricia. May I say something? Uh, sure, Patricia. Go ahead. I just wanted to share on this piece where it says that um, we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. And then it goes down to talking about what Leah just said about the two friends sharing their experience. And, you know, when I got in here, it didn't happen this way. <laughs> Anyways, I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Bye. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Patricia. Anyone else before we move on? All right, Kim, would you please begin reading? Thanks, Christy. The man in the bed was told of the acute poisoning from which he suffered, how it deteriorates the body of an alcoholic and warps his mind. There was much talk about the mental state preceding that first drink. Yes, that's me, said the sick man, the very image. You fellows know your stuff all right, but I don't see what good it'll do. You fellows are somebody. I was once, but I'm nobody now. From what you tell me, I know more than ever I can't stop. At this, both the visitors burst into a laugh. Said the future fellow anonymous, damn little to laugh about that I can see. And good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And this is the beginning, this is the beginning of his new life because he is being taught about step one. He is being taught about the true nature of his disease. This man had been in and out of this hospital eight times in six months. He was drinking when he was going home from the hospital, and he didn't understand why. So Dr. Bob and, and Bill are telling him that you have a twofold disease. You have this allergy of the body that deteriorates the body. It deteriorates. We will never not have this allergy. But even more dastardly is the fact we have this obsession of the mind. And the book says there was much talk about the mental state preceding the first drink. Because that is our true insanity. That is the insanity of this disease. An allergy in and of itself is an awful problem. But you simply stop using the substance and the problem will no longer manifest. I'm sorry, I don't know if that, that background's not me, but I don't know how to stop it. Um, so let's say that you go to the doctor and you're breaking out in this rash, and you're not sure why. So the doctor puts a lot of little patches on you and takes different tests, and he finds out, you know what? You're allergic to strawberries. If that's why you're breaking out in the rash. Now, is the insanity that you're allergic to strawberries and breaking in the rash, or is the, is the insanity that now that you know what you're allergic to, you're still going to eat those strawberries. That's the insanity. So the insanity isn't at the fifth donut when we can't stop. The insanity is why do we pick up that first donut when we know we are allergic to it, when we know we have this phenomenon of craving. And this is what Bill D. is being told. And the next paragraph it tells him, from what you tell me, I know more than ever, I can't stop. Wait a minute, you're telling me but there's hope, but you're telling me at the same time that I have this allergy of the body that no matter when I ingest it, I'm always going to have this phenomenon of craving. And now you're telling me that I have a mind that's not going to let me not pick up that first drink? And I heard a perfect description of step one last week. It was, oh crap, I'm screwed. And that is, that is where step one is. It's not knowing that the food 
is going to take us down. It's understanding that our powerlessness is in the fact that our mind will not let us not pick up that food. From what you tell me, I know more than ever, I can't stop. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on this, these two paragraphs? Hi, it's Esty. Esty, go ahead, please. Yes, hi, everyone. It's Esty from New York. Thanks for this meeting and for letting me share. Um, I, I really enjoyed the reading and the explanation of the allergy of the mind because um, currently I'm dealing with certain foods that were triggers for me and I went a little haywire, just obsessing over them, even in abstinence. And just this morning, I it, it confessed to my sponsor about it, and she told me to take it away. And there's such a freedom for me now of, like, that food is has is not on my food plan anymore. It's been lifted, and I don't have to think about it and worry about it anymore. And it just listening to everyone's shares and the, the previous share just makes it so clear to me. Yeah, I'm doing the right thing, yes. This is my solution because I have uh, an obsession of the mind, which is worse than my allergy. Because if I, I knew that this food was not good for me, and I knew it before I picked it up, and I did it anyway, then what's wrong with me? And I, I was walking around with this feeling of inferiority and helplessness about myself. Why do I eat this food? If I keep obsessing over this food all day, when will I get that fix or... Should I rather take it before I work or after I work, or uh, when should I eat my meal? And it's like it's 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 playing games in my head. And why am I even committing it or eating it? And um, yeah, it's it's an allergy of the mind, and it feels so good and so at home to be able to share this and have people who understand. Thanks for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Esty. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? Can I share? Sure, who is this? Hi, my name is Mara. I'm anorexic and a compulsive overeater in Chicago. And um, I really appreciate finding this meeting and listening to all of you. Um, I went to a friend's house the other night, and she had a CD of Bill Wilson speaking. And he said he was sharing his story. And um, at one point, he went early on, he went to Dr. Silkworth, and I guess he wasn't having, though he was staying sober, he wasn't having a lot of luck keeping, you know, helping other people stay sober. And he said to the doctor, you know, what am I doing, what do you think I'm doing wrong? And Dr. Silkworth said, um, don't share so much about God first. Share about, share as a drunk. Share who you are. And... Um, that just made me think so much like going in and lecturing somebody. I, well, never helped me because anybody that lectured me, I knew they didn't understand. I knew they didn't understand because if they didn't, what they were saying wouldn't help me. And interestingly, well, I'm not that interesting because I'm sure many people have done this and I've met them actually, but for many years in OA, I didn't get that I'm the same. Like I'm not the worst person on the block. If it, you know, like everybody in that room have, has done what I've done. And therefore, I can get, I can recover, period. End of the story as long as I, you know, do these simple 
stop. So, anyway, thanks for letting me share. I'm grateful to be abstinent. Thank you, Mara. This is Christine. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, uh, in this first paragraph here, um, you know, Bill D. Is, has been told of the acute poisoning from which he suffered, how it deteriorates the body of an alcoholic and warps his mind. And, you know, a definition of acute is severe, critical, dire. And they talk about the acute poisoning and how it deteriorates the body and warps his mind. So, you know, my mind, you know, if I read that and I understand that both my mind and my body, both my mind and my body were poisoned. And what does that mean for someone like me? You know, what that means is, in the doctor's opinion, I am told of the twofold nature of my disease. And the twofold nature of my disease is that I have a physical allergy, physical allergy that Kim described, which is, you know, an abnormal reaction to certain foods. For me, just for me, I identified those foods as sugar, fat, flour, and volume. You know, you give me more and I want more. You give me any combination of those foods and hopefully all of those foods, you know, sugar, fat, and flour rolled into one big ball and I will eat them and my body will react abnormally to them. I want more. I want more. You know, that's my favorite bench food, more. Um, and, you know, if, if that were my only problem, I could, I could put those foods down and I would be fine. I'd be good to go. I would have, you know, the first diet I went on at the age of 12, I'm 53, the first diet I went on at the age of 12 would have worked for me. I would have learned how to eat properly and I would have been fine for the rest of my life. But the greater aspect of my disease, the part of my mind, uh, the part of my disease, my mind, which is also poisoned, means that I will crave that food and I will not let go until I have more of that food. I will do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes to get that food. You know, my biggest problem, the greater aspect of my disease is my mind. You know, and that's what this literature and this program was designed to help me with. It says, put down the food, Christy. Put down the food and, you know, get your head out of the bin and the bag and the trough of food and you put the steps to work in your life. You know, step one, put down the food, admit you're powerless and that your life is unmanageable um, and dig into the rest of the steps in order and uh, you better do it quickly because you're in a race against your disease. That's how I was taught how to recover. And I love these two paragraphs because they do two things. You know, that first paragraph is where, you know, Bill W. and Dr. Bob tell Bill D. what the true nature of this problem is, that he's got a twofold, you know, twofold problem, mind and body. And then um, after he says, yeah, that's me, you've described me perfectly, I get it, right down to my heart and soul, I understand exactly what you're talking about. And, um, you know, he says, now that I know that, I know I'm never going to recover. You know, I don't know what's with the two of you, you know, with seven months and a few weeks of abstinence, but there's no way. There's no way. And the two of them can laugh at that comment because they felt the same way. 
they felt the same way at one point. There's no way I'm ever going to recover from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And both of them are there to say, but wait a minute, you can recover. You can recover because we recovered. We felt the same way you did. I mean, that's what they're laughing about. They're not laughing at him, you know, because he's saying I'm hopeless. They're laughing at him because they get it. You know, they're laughing maybe with him is a better way to say that because they too have recovered. Um, you know, I can laugh too at that because I have recovered. I have gotten out of the depths, the depths of despair from this disease you know, by following this program that works for other people. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Hi, this is Sarah from Leia. Um, Sarah, Sarah was it, and then Leah. Thank you. This is Sarah, compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Um, for me, listening to this um, just reminds me that there's nothing wrong with me. I am not a glutton, even though I ate like that when I was not abstinent. Um, it's a disease. This is just what my higher power gave me. There's nothing wrong with me um, when someone has diabetes, when someone has cancer, when someone has a cold. They don't beat themselves up and say, how could I have this? This is awful. I, I'm a horrible person. And that's what I used to do when I was in the food. I would say, what is wrong with me? Why can't I stop eating? But I would hate myself. I would be eating and saying, I hate you. I hate you. And eating and stop. And I couldn't, and I couldn't, and I couldn't. And when I came to the rooms, I didn't know anything about OA except that it was a free diet. And I was, um, I just have paid in the past for diets. And obviously, it didn't work for me because I have a disease. And when I walked in the rooms and someone shared, and they shared on that, that this is a disease and that she's not powerful enough to to handle it. And the only one that has all power is her higher power and that she needs to surrender it one day at a time through the tools, through the steps, through giving over her will to a sponsor. I felt such a relief. My self-esteem went up so much because finally, it's not me. It's just not me. And it started filtering into so many parts of my life. Um, thank God I'm abstinent over nine and a half years, and I know that this is such a gift from my higher power, and the defects I've learned that I've had or I knew before but I just blamed on everyone else, I also was able to say, okay, I'm not a horrible person because I yell at my children. This is a this is a disease. This is my a defect that my higher power gave me. And if he gave it to me, then just like with the food, I can hand it over to him. I can hand this over. And through the tools and through the steps and through the fellowship, the incredible fellowship in this program, I have changed so much. My higher power has just done so much for me. I mean, I know for me that I need to be here because I will never for me, recover because I am a compulsive overeater and there's no cure for this disease. And I know that I need to be here for my abstinence. I need to be here to continue to work and be a better person and be a better mother. And when I would, if I would ever stop working, I everything would just come crashing down. I know that's for me because I'm a self-centered person by nature. So I need 
to be here every day, one day at a time. And I am so grateful for my higher power for the willingness to be here because there are millions of people out there, and I was one of them, that was not, um, that was just beating themselves up and that couldn't control their food and couldn't help themselves in any way. And I'm, I'm just one of the blessed ones that my higher power picked for me, however he got me into the rooms to be here, that he is just working with me and helping me and guiding me. And I see that this is, this is a gift of love, this disease, because without the disease, I wouldn't be here. And I would just be that same rageful, self-centered person. Um, and I'm just really, really blessed and grateful. And thank you for all of you for this wonderful, wonderful, strong meeting. I've been listening to this meeting for a while, but I'm usually too intimidated to share because of the tremendous strength in this meeting. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Leia, go ahead. Thank you so much. Uh, I enjoy, you know, reading the uh, the technique here that that Bill and Dr. Bob are using, as was previously commented. You know, the, uh, Bill turned his strategy around instead of beginning with uh, talking about God and and the principles of love and kindness and tolerance. Uh, because the drunks that he was pulling off the bar stools could really care less about that talk. Um, so what he's starting off with, what they start off with, is exactly the hopelessness of our illness, the the um, composition of our, of our disease, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. They're talking here, uh, the man in the bed was told of the acute poisoning from which he suffered, how it deteriorates the body of an alcoholic and warps his mind. There was much talk, much talk about the mental state preceding the first drink. And, of course, that's referring to the greater aspect of the disease, which is in the mind, which is in the mind. That's why when these men, even though they were uh, stone-cold sober, uh, would be compelled to pick up that first drink. That is the baffling aspect of the disease, and that's exactly what they're talking about. They're talking about that obsession that condemns them to drink and the physical sensitivity, the allergy of the body that condemns them to go mad or die if they keep on drinking. And coming from one alcoholic to another, coming from Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob to Bill D., uh, that was enough to crack this tough ego deep down. And that's exactly what sponsors do. Sponsors are recovered people who we aim to produce a crisis for the newcomer. Hi, Sylvia. It's Marion from 2011. Can I, yeah, can I have some ice? We, we aim to produce a crisis relating the seriousness of our own experience. This is not some uh, textbook, you know, uh, jargon, some uh, science and, and medical uh, f- textbook that we, we deliver from. This is personal experience. This is personal experience. This is, this is our experience with allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, the fact that we couldn't stop once we started and the fact that once we stopped, we couldn't stop from starting again. And, of course, it goes down here and says, from what you tell me, I know more than ever I can't stop. That is a great place to be. That place is called being destroyed. (laughs) I know I came here destroyed. You know, the madness was so severe, the soul was getting sucked out of me. I was shattered. I was shattered. I knew I had been a compulsive overeater since I was a kid. 
I, I, I didn't understand about the disease. I certainly did not know what I was up against. I didn't understand the depths to which this disease would drag me. I didn't understand how hot hell would become, but I felt it. And it says here, from what you tell me, I know more than ever. I can't stop. What a great place to be. This is a great place because through enough suffering, through enough pain, through enough degradation that breaks us down, we have an opportunity to be reborn. So the worst moment of this man's life, Bill D., is yet the beginning of a new life. His journey as an alcoholic took him to great suffering. But it can either take you to great suffering and continue to your death or to bliss. You know, because every breakdown is an opportunity for a breakthrough. And that's why they say here, damn little to laugh about that I can see. They're laughing because we know there is hope for even the person that feels the greatest level of despair. There is hope here. There is hope here. There is an opportunity to recover. Absolutely. Rarely have we seen it fail. You know, and that is true today as it was then. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on uh, this, this paragraph? Yael? Yeah, who is this? Yeah, this is Yael. Uh, go ahead. Okay, thanks. I'm sorry for the background traffic. Um, yeah, I had wanted to, I guess, pretty much reiterate what we just heard, that... Um, for me, um, it w- I, I, my head, my head knew, my head knew I was in the disease. My head knew that I had this problem, but it didn't help me with my change. Not until, as was just said, also, when I hit that rock bottom of what am I doing? Um, for me, a turning point was when I went to a nutritionist to try and get on track. And she's like, okay, describe to me your typical day. And with embarrassment, I just realized, like, there was nothing healthy I could tell her. It was going from, you know, one craving to another, to another, to another. And that, for me, was was a turning point of this This is insane. Um, and um, it's, yes, it's the, the mind helps kick in after you just have that that grain of 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 helplessness, hopelessness, and then from there you can work through it. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs before we move on? Yes. Hi, my name is Anita L. from Philadelphia. Anita, go ahead. Hi, um, my name is Anita, and I'm recovering compulsive overeater and food addict, and. Uh, I have just been so moved by these paragraphs this morning. I've wanted to reach out and share on the line for a couple months now, and tears of joy were just running down my face um, when we were reading the first couple paragraphs here because I was in the same place as Bill D. for so many years of my life. I also you know, grew up as a young child in this disease and carried it through. And uh, I I know that there is a solution today. And the allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, that has hit home 
so much since listening to these meetings for the past couple months, and I'm so grateful to all the people who are part of A Vision for You because they have just, all of you have helped to hit home to me the fatal nature of my disease, and I'm just the same place as Bill D. was, where I was thinking at different points in my OA career, why are you laughing? I'm I'm just in the pits of despair. What's going on here? And today I can be one of those fellows who knows that there is a solution, and I'm living it today to the best of my ability with God. God's help, and uh, I'm so grateful. Thank you for letting me share, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita. Paula, would you please begin reading uh, the next two paragraphs? This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, gladly. The two friends spoke of their spiritual experience and told him about the course of action they carried out. He interrupted, well, I used to be strong for the church, but that won't fix it. I prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop, but by 9 o'clock I'd be boiled as an owl. There, I'm going to go to that first paragraph first. The two friends spoke of their spiritual experience. Well, we have two people here that are coming together with the same recovery. They spoke of their spiritual experience. Different ways they came, but came they did. And they told him about, now this part, the course of action they carried out. They carried out action. There it was. Now this is going way beyond the talking. This is going the living and the doing. And now they're coming to him. But that part, a course, what is a course? It's an onward movement, progress, a way a path. This is what it is. It's a course of action. And where is the course starting? The 12 steps, the surrender. There is where the course is, and this is what they're telling them, the spiritual experience. Where does it start? Where does it begin? It begins when the food is put down, the drink is put down. There's the beginning. But there's so much more. But you know, they say we pick up the spiritual tools. Picking up is doing what? Bending down. They're the humility of knowing who you are and mostly knowing who God is. And then it says that they carried out. He interrupted, and that's it. I used to be there, but, you know, that won't fix it. He didn't have all the parts. He didn't have all the parts. That's what they came to bring him, all the parts. Did you ever turn around and start picking something and you're putting it together and you're putting it together? Well, gee, something's missing. And you find out something is missing. Something is missing. Well, now we have it all together, all together, and that's what they brought him. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on these two paragraphs? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning again, everyone. Boy, this is beautiful. You know, Bill D's at that point now where he tells them, you know, I cannot stop. I know now more than ever I cannot stop. This is the desperation that Bill D is in. And this, this technique has changed the way that I approach newcomers. 
Because I was like like Bill, the way Leia said. I would grab people out of the meetings and I would tell them about God and these 12 steps and they'd be like, whoa, wait a minute, I just need to lose a little weight. But what we do is we talk about that disease, the disease, the disease, until someone is so desperate they go, well, what do I do about it? Until they ask me for the answer, I talk about the problem. So it says here, now that he's saying, I know now more than ever I can't stop, then they go into the two friends, talk about the spiritual experience, the solution, and the course of action to get that spiritual experience. That is the process. You know, if, if you go into a doctor's office and he says, you know, I'm looking at your family history. Some of your symptoms make me think you might have cancer. I'm not really quite sure, but why don't we give you a, a round of radiation and chemotherapy? And you're like, well, I don't know. And then they tell you to go to radiation three times a week, but you decide you're only going to go two. And you get the chemo and you get a little nauseous and you're supposed to be there for 45 minutes, but you only want to be there a half hour because you're not feeling good. Because you're not convinced. You're not convinced. You, you don't believe you have cancer. It's just suspected. So until we're convinced, until we come to that conclusion that we are powerless, that our life is unmanageable, we're not going to be open to the solution and we're not going to submit to this course of action. And when it says here that, you know, that I prayed to God on hangover mornings and swore that I never touched another drop and by 9 o'clock I'd be boiled as an owl, I think every night in high school I went to, to, to bed at night praying to God, please make me a size 14. Please make me a size 14. I didn't want to shop in Lane Bryan and those big girl stores anymore. But I never asked God to help me stop eating. I wanted the symptom taken away. And what we're taught in L.A. now is that the symptom is the food. The symptom is our food and weight. That's not our real problem. If we want to be free, if I want to be free today, I have to address the larger aspect of my disease. And I love the line on page 11 in Bill's story where it says when he was talking about his idea of God, for myself I had adopted those parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult, the rest I disregarded. Well, I was in OA many years saying these steps don't work. These steps don't work. And it was because I adopted those parts which seemed convenient and, and not too difficult, and I disregarded the rest. And why was that? Because I didn't understand the depth of this disease. I didn't understand what I was up against. And when I was exposed to that doctor's opinion, and I realized, oh, crap, I'm screwed, then I went after that solution and that course of action with a vigilance I had never experienced before. And today I tell you that I am free. I am recovered. The obsession has been removed. And what a gift that is. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? It's Monica. Monica, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So Bill D. here is is uh, being uh, talked to by Bill and Dr. Bob, and they now have gotten to the third part of, of the process. So, you know, the first part was they shared their personal stories with him so he could identify. And then the second thing was that they I, explained the disease of alcoholism to him, the two-part of it. And now they're telling him what they did. And so now they're bringing about the spiritual aspect of of action that needs to be taken. And he says, well, I used to be strong for the church. 
but that won't fix it. I prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop by nine o'clock and I'd be boiled as an owl. So Bill D. had faith. He had a faith going on here, and he had knowledge. But what happened? What, what didn't he do? He didn't practice it, or he didn't apply it. And on page 93, it says, um, towards the, bottom, the last paragraph on page 93, he will be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seemed to work so well. Yeah, I too prayed every night, and every morning I'd pray, help me to be a good girl here today. You know, I'll pray that I'll be a size, you know, like um, she was saying, a size 14 tomorrow morning, and it, it never happened. Well, all the praying didn't, wasn't enough. I wasn't applying. It says the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he could not have applied it, or he would not drink. So that's the issue here. I did a lot of praying. I had faith, but I did not make any decisions or take any actions. And that's what was missing. And once I made a decision, realized I was made, came to the conclusions I was powerless and I needed a power greater than me, and then made a decision to work this process, to do these steps, and then immediately, step four, started writing. Then I was taking some actions. And as a result of taking the actions and working through the steps, God has given me recovery. So we've got to take actions. We, you know, praying is good. And most definitely praying has helped me a lot. But I've got to take the, the actions and continue through the process. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I, you know, I love this this line that I've heard other people share about. Um, I've prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop, but by nine o'clock I'd be boiled as, as an owl. You know, and and that that was me. You know, at eight fifty five a.m. I would wake up and say. I am never going to do that again. I am never going to do that again, right? You know, I, I, want, I want God to take away the consequences of my actions. I want God to take away the consequences of my actions. And by 9 o'clock, you know, or maybe 8.56 a.m., I would remember, I would remember there were leftovers. Maybe there was an old box of stale donuts somewhere. You know, and, uh, and, you know, all of those thoughts of stopping, all of those thoughts of stopping, all of that remorse and self-pity and despair would be pushed away in favor of eating whatever I could get my hands on. You know, I was hungry. After all, it was morning. I hadn't eaten for several hours. I was starving. And there I would be, taking those same actions over and over and over again, that we're getting me the same results, the same results, remorse, despair, self-pity, bewilderment. There I was again. There I was again. And I didn't pray, you know, if, if, I, was, if I was on, um, you know, a thought pattern that said, I need to get my fix now, I wasn't praying to God to stop me. I was, I was praying that you'd get out of my way. 
get out of my way. I want food. <laughs> you better get out of my way. Um, you know, it wasn't until I was done. It wasn't until I was done that I wanted to stop. You know, I mean, literally and figuratively. Um, you know, then I'd be stuffed and then I'd be in pain and then I would remind myself that I was never going to do that again. Where had been my high resolve? Why did I do that again? I can't believe I did that again. You know, God strike me thin. Um, you know, and and I I did that over and over and over again, over and over and over again. And there is nothing, there is nothing that was going to stop me. There was nothing that was going to stop me until I was done, until I was done, until my disease had done its job. And uh, thank God I finally, finally got to that place. Um, and with that, I will pass. And with that, I will also thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Katie, would you please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.